Hello, hello, and welcome back to Cutting Chai Stories. I'm your host, Jayati Vora, and today's episode is part two of my interview with my journalism mentor, the writer of books for adults and children, and hilarious storyteller, Jerry Pinto. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, make sure to catch that too for the first part of our conversation. Let's dive in. What are some of the writing techniques? that you can break down for our listeners when you're writing for kids, young adults, or when you're writing about things like childhood teddy bears. Do you find that it's different than writing for adults? Because you've written for adults too. Uh, No, not in the actuality of it. After I wrote A Bear for Felicia, then people started asking me to write stories for children. Okay, And one of the first stories I wrote came up against the wall of grammar. If you're writing about schoolboys, say, in uh, playing in the school compound, romping about on the playground, boys talk in the way boys talk. And for me, it is very important to get the sound of the person right. Okay? So I can't have a boy, uh, if one boy says to another uh, something like, uh, that scorpion is a nasty thing. No boy talks like that. Uh, he'll probably say something like, that scorpion's like, man, seriously awful. And the other one will say means... Now, when you write means, everyone in Bombay mm-hmm. knows that means means, what do you mean? Right? But the grammar Nazi on the editing table wants that boy to say, what do you mean? Now, no boy talks like that. Right? So, in order to get the, uh, get the child's tone right, you sometimes have to sacrifice grammar. Now, if you sacrifice grammar, you become a bad writer because one of the things about children's writing is that all their parents want children to read books in order that their language skills improve, in order that they become more successful in the world, in order that, in order that, in order that. There's a whole set of agendas in every parent's head with reference to writing. Not one of these agendas is in order that the child should have some fun and recognize in the story a person like himself and feel that this is relatable, this is fun, this is exactly the way I would be talking. Yeah, That's the problem, really. I wish, I wish, I really wish parents would loosen up, you know. The reason why um, Tickle Me Don't Tickle Me when I read it to children, children love it is because it's talking about vomiting, right? <laughs> vomiting is a, is a bodily function, it's dirty, it's disgusting. And kids love bodily functions that are dirty and disgusting. With my publisher, Duckbill, uh, Duckbill at that time had two uh, great editors, uh, Shoyuni Boshu and Anushka Ravi Shankar. So we all wrote a fart story. Each one of us wrote a fart story and we called it It's Puss Boom. Okay, it's a book of uh, three fart stories. And uh, whenever children see that book, they want it immediately. Whenever parents see the children uh, uh, wanting that book, they say, now what are you taking? Why are you taking this book? Now don't put that down. Let uh, Take this one. General knowledge for you. <laughs> or take this one. Great tales from the Indian classics. Or take this one. The Jata or the Panchatantra. Because there's so many agendas inside their heads about why they want their children to read. And children can smell agendas a mile off. This is supposed to be good for me. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Give me your phone instead. At the moment, I am in the middle of reading the BFG by Roald Dahl to my son, who's six and a half. Mm, lovely. And 
he loves it and i do voices and so the bfg is like this combination of some like east german and guju auntie from amdavad <laughs> and he loves it and the words in them right because the whole point is that the bfg doesn't speak correct english yeah. and so you know this frob scottle which i say like frob scottle <laughs> the names of those nasty uh, uh, the nasty brothers the child chomper and all oh flesh lump eater and <laughs> that fills your mouth like flesh lump eater fills your mouth roll dal is like the ultimate you know i just wish he'd written a 100 more books so children yeah i know it's just it's so fun to say right and it's so like it gives you that license is it is it more fun to write a book for kids No, 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 no! Much, much more dangerous. First of all, because children are just savage, just complete savages. Okay, uh, adults will never come up to you and say, "I've had this experience at Bookaroo." A young lady came up to me and said, "Did you write this book?" Holding up "Talk of the Town," which is a book about cities, which I wrote with Rahul Srivastava. So I said, "Yes, I did." So she said, "Very boring." <laughs> I said, "I'm so sorry." She said, "Yeah," uh, and I got it twice for my birthday. Twice I got this boring book. So I said, you know, maybe you could give it to someone you don't like for their birthday. <laughs> and her face brightened up. I could already see she knew who she was going to give that book to. Okay. Then there was another time when I was at Bukaru again, and a, a young lady again came up to me and said she was holding a bear for Felicia, and she said, "Do you have this in pink?" <laughs> okay. So and um. You know, if they are bored, they turn off immediately, and they're not going to pay attention. You can have won an award for the book. You can be like uh, you have been reviewed magnificently, but they, if they are bored, they are bored. Can you talk a little about the messages coded into children's stories? I have always had a very, very bad feeling about this story, the fox and the crane, uh, which is a story, you know, in which a fox and a crane are friends, and the fox calls the crane over for dinner, and then the crane goes over for dinner the fox has put put out food but in flat plates and the crane having a long beak can't eat so the crane goes home and calls the fox over for dinner the next day and the fox goes over and the crane has served food in tall jars and the fox can't eat and really the moral of the story is don't go and eat with people who are not like you i really think that's not a nice story to be telling our children I wanted to write a version, another version of it, where the fox does this and the crane does this. But on the third day, the fox and the crane go to the market, and they meet in the market, and the fox is buying a tall jar for the crane to eat, and the crane is buying a flat plate for the fox to eat, and that's how they are going to repair the what damage they did to their friendship in those moments, because that's what the story of friendship is about. It's about managing difference. So what can writers who are writing for grown-ups learn from children's writers? The first thing you can learn is simplicity and the second I think is plotting because in children's writing your vocabulary is suddenly extremely limited because uh, very often uh, if you're writing at in for a particular age group you're uh, writing to a word list you know you're writing out of a word list there are certain words which the child will know and certain words which the child won't know now according to me i don't think those word lists are very useful things i think you know when i was reading as a child if there was a book word i didn't know i guessed most of the time and if i had a, an adult who would tell me i would ask the adult and in the last instance i would go and look it up in a dictionary because i was a lazy child 
but you can always do any of these three things. You can either guess or you can ask an adult or you can check in the dictionary. So I don't think that uh, these word lists should be so hard and fast as a rule. If you are writing sincerely for children, you cannot ignore emotional complexity, the dramatic, the metaphoric, all the resources of language must be deployed, but they must be deployed as simply as possible. And I think that if we all wrote as if we were writing for children all the time, we'd probably have much more uh, good literature than we do have right now. Because there is often a tendency to write fancy and to write florid because you think, hey, they should find out or they should know. And of course they should find out. Of course they should know. Of course vocabularies should be bigger than they are. And that's that scene development visualization meditation. And so what it is, it's just seeing the scene in your mind very, very clearly and developing it in your mind before you get to the writing. Actually, one of the other steps is verbally telling the story, either out loud to yourself or out loud to another person. So you see it, you talk it, and then you write it. Those are the stages of development that really help the writing. That's a very small kind of glimpse into the developmental approach. Finally, as you know, uh, Nadine, I always end my episodes with a writing prompt for my listeners, and I was hoping you had one to share. Yes, you get the choice. And the three choices are your first, your worst, your last. You can choose to write about a first moment in your life, or you can write about your worst moment, or I say your last. I love that. I mean, what bang for my buck. That's three writing prompts in one. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much, Nadine, for being on the show. This was so much fun, and I learned a lot. I will put Nadine's information in the show notes so that you can all learn where to connect with her. Again, my August classes are open. Check them out on gumroad.com slash stories. Thank you all for tuning in. And until I see you next Thursday, write in your diary. Thank <laughs> you.